Underwriting for the production of AutoLine this week has been provided by... AutoLine is brought to you in part by the commercial vehicle brands of Tenneco. Pioneering global ideas for cleaner air and quieter, smoother, and safer transportation. Ford Warner, developing advanced technologies specifically aimed at reducing emissions, increasing fuel economy, and improving performance. Our award-winning innovations extend from turbocharging and cooling systems to friction materials and diesel cold start technology. Built on a century-long reputation of innovation and reliability, we have the track record that proves our technology can help meet the challenges of the commercial truck and off-highway industry. Deloitte's Automotive Group is at the forefront, driving transformation and tackling complex challenges. Whether you are interested in globalizing operations, optimizing supply chains, mitigating enterprise risk, or driving innovation, Deloitte can help develop solutions that create long-lasting value. To learn more about Deloitte's Automotive Group, visit us online at deloitte.com backslash US backslash automotive. From the Auto Line Studios, here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you for joining us on AutoLine this week, where we're going to be talking about all these mergers that are going on in this industry and all the capital that it takes to invest in doing those kinds of mergers. And joining me for this discussion are Paul Eisenstein, the publisher of the Detroit Bureau, also a freelancer in the business. Daron Levine is with Fortune.com and TheStreet.com. And Jason Stein is the publisher and editor of Automotive News, and great having all three of you here today. Good to be here. Thank, Thank you. you. Jason, let me start with you then. And uh, look, just to kick off the whole conversation, uh, earlier in the month, Sergio Marchion, the chief executive officer of Fiat Chrysler, FCA, came out and said, hey, this industry's got to start seeing a whole lot more mergers because it's burning up cash and the industry overall is not providing a good return to investors. What do you read into this? First, first, let me start. Why is Sergio coming out and say this? And, and why is he talking to the analyst community and the media? Sure. Well, I mean, he's been saying this since the uh, Detroit Auto Show, right? This was his big st- uh, moment to say, pound uh, the pulpit and say that, uh, this, that the industry doesn't work the way that it's currently constructed. You have an accounting major, essentially, with a philosophically mm. uh, you know, oriented background saying, why are we wasting so much? Why are we making common engines? Why are we making common seat frames? Why don't we just merge some of these activities together and you'll end up with a better business plan. What do you guys see? I think part of it is because that uh, Fiat Chrysler really is low man on the totem pole right now, and uh, it's tougher for them to come up with these investments, these big investments that are not only for major components and engines, but for major technologies in making the vehicles lighter to meet worldwide emission standards and for all kinds of new gizmos and gadgets like adaptive cruise control that entities like General Motors and Volkswagen and Toyota can afford better than they can. So he's really under much more financial pressure than any of the others. And and now we're getting to the end of an automotive cycle, perhaps, where sales won't be as easy and profits won't be as easy as they've been for the last couple of years. And so that's going to fall on him. I'd say that I would suggest that he's actually been hinting at this for more than a few years. If you go back, he's been talking about the need for consolidation in the industry. He got into quite a big battle, you may recall, over a year ago with uh, uh, Martin Winterkorn, the head of 
VW AG, uh, he's been talking about the need to do various forms of consolidation that were essentially saying the same thing. And I think he's finally just cut through the chase, to the chase and said, this is all about consolidation. Seven years ago, he said this in Europe, you know, he said that there were only going to be five major players in the right. industry. And he, he just keeps repeating them, you know, the mantra that the business doesn't work the way it is. And at 61 months of straight sales increases and only 4% profit margins, I mean, he's making half of the profit margin that GM is, a, a third of what, uh, of what uh, Ford is. So he's saying, look, we can't operate the way we currently are, and let's rethink this whole thing. You know, I've heard this whole argument my entire career of covering this business, <laughs> that ah, it's only going to end up with five car companies in the world. Here we are, almost 40 years later, and there's more car companies than there's ever been because, you know, the Chinese are getting in on the game. The Koreans have already come. The Japanese were there, of course. Indians are probably going to be the next. I don't buy it at all. I but, don't think it's ever going to go down. But, John, you are maybe adding more reason why he is saying that now. You know, the Chinese have been up until now largely focused on the Chinese market. A decade ago, we had 200 of them. Is shaken out. I don't know what the final number is right now. We're probably down to less than half of that. Uh, but the difference is they are now starting to make noise about getting out of China. We're going to see very shortly the first Chinese import in the form of the, uh, the um, Volvo S60L, and we're likely to see their parent follow coming across soon. So when you add the pressure of the Chinese, the Koreans are being more aggressive than ever. This is all the more reason why I think Marchione, or Marchione if you prefer, is saying we got to consolidate. And back well, to Doran's point too, yeah. you know, we've gone through this enormous cycle where we're, we're rocking and rolling and FCA has eight and a half billion euros of debt. Yeah. I mean, and the debt's going up in double-digit numbers, right? Well, and yeah. Marchione's the one who's saying that uh, a lot of this capital investment is irrational, but of course, it's the governments that keep bailing out companies, notably Chrysler, which has been bailed out by the United States twice already, by my count. Yeah, it has. But I think <coughs> one of his points is valid. The industry does do a lot of duplicative investment, mm -hmm. i.e., they invest in the same kind of engines and transmissions, to your point, even you know the, the seat frames seat and frames. things like that. So I buy his argument that a lot of this stuff, the customer doesn't even see, know, or taste the difference. So maybe there's some sort of formula for consolidating on that basis, but would the public accept that uh, the car they're buying has some generic engine that who knows who made well, wait, it? Wait, wait, wait a second. Uh, we're already seeing consolidation. I just recently received an email from the Renault-Nissan alliance reminding me that they're Additional alliance with, with Daimler has just reached new levels. They're about to produce a pickup truck for Daimler. And what do we have? Out of the uh, Alabama plant, we're using Infinity engines in Mercedes. And the new plant that's going up in Mexico is going to be using a, uh, what, a Daimler platform for a variety of Infinities as well as for Mercedes products, which will probably wind up using Infinity engines. So. It's a great, oh, we've seen it's this a great already. example because we've seen with Nissan and Renault a tremendously um, successful collaboration. In fact, it's been so successful that Carlos Ghosn has been pushing them to even collaborate more. And then mm -hmm. they've, they've succeeded, as you say, uh, in bringing Daimler into that, into that package. So I would say to Marchione, go find yourself a partner and make a, make a compelling case. Now, I think that what was happening is that he is really talking to institutional shareholders. And he's telling them to tell the other 
car makers that they're invested in that they should be doing these kinds of arrangements and perhaps he'll benefit from one of them. We, nothing that he does is done without contemplation of three to five years down the road, right? So these comments are not coming out of, uh, out of thin air. I mean, he, he knows exactly how he wants to position the company. And let's face it, some people have said that he appears weak in this scenario. Maybe it's just a logical argument to an industry that won't listen. Well, the other thing, too, uh, to the point of being weak, he's actually his strongest right now. FCA, Fiat Chrysler, is in a pretty strong position. Their debt level is going up. Their cash pile is shrinking. But in a couple of years, it's going to be even worse. And it was so interesting to hear what Carlos Tavares, the CEO of PSA, Peugeot in France, said when apparently Sergio must have called him or somebody in the press asked him, would you go together with FCA? And he says, it's a little bit early for us, which I interpret to mean, hey, Peugeot's in serious, serious trouble, but it looks like we're on the mend. In a couple of other years, we're going to be in a much stronger bargaining position. So that's what Sergio sees right now. He's got a strong hand. He doesn't want to be bargaining from a position of weakness. Right. So that's why I think he one of, is one of the reasons why he's really talking it well, up. Well, you now. hit on the right one. I mean, Peugeot came very close to doing a deal with GM, which imploded very quickly. And the probably deal that they for had good didn't work for either side anyway. No, it was one of those odd deals. GM was famous for doing really bad partnerships. Kind of like the Fiat deal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Fiat deal, the Suzuki deal. Remember, they had they were actually partnered with Subaru for a couple of months. Yeah. Um, so Subaru. Yeah, right. And, and so maybe this is exactly uh, the right time uh, for them to be talking to Peugeot. Maybe they will continue to start talking behind the scenes, and it's just neither one wants to acknowledge and it. And Tavares has done an, an, an incredible job of cleaning up a mess there. Huh. Uh, At Peugeot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he has gone in and restructured all of the work agreements. He's expanded uh, the product plan. This is a guy, you know, based on his, his uh, North American experience, was able to really get Nissan rocking and rolling. So, And in China. Absolutely. So could there be, uh, you know, a partnership down the road that involves FCA and PSA? I, th I think it's a no-brainer that that's well, me you know, talking. And, as, and, and with Tavares, as a former Renault executive who has left Renault with a, a kind of under a cloud, and because there's bad blood between um, Marchione and Ghosn, nothing would make uh, yeah, Marchione true. happier than to make a deal with Tavares and kind of stick it in Ghosn's face. Just, well, the, just the same way that uh, Mr. Uh, Piek wanted to uh, uh, purchase uh, Alfa Romeo right. as well. So, and there's a lot of intrigue and drama behind all those moves as well, which just makes this business so fascinating on a regular hey, basis. keeps us all employed here, too. Paul, I want to ask you, though, why is Sergio going to the media and to the analyst community with this 25-page, you know, uh, pamphlet that he put out called Confessions of a Capital Junkie. Why is he doing, I mean, all he's got to do is pick up the phone and call maybe a half a dozen CEOs around the world, and those are the partners, you know, realistically he's going to play. Well, why do you think he's going to the media with this? Sergio is phenomenally media savvy. I don't think anybody has worked it better since certainly he came to the world view uh, when he stepped in to help Chrysler avoid. Remember, they were going to pull the plug on. They weren't going to give him the bailout. And Marchione, in that sense, saved Chrysler. And don't forget, he doesn't really come from this club, the automobile industry. He right. comes from outside the club. And he operates a little bit differently. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he operates a little differently. And he may be very specifically saying that the best deal he can get is to look like he's leading this charge by creating that image within the media. He may not be able to get what he wants doing the backroom negotiations, he may be able to do better by taking it public. 
And Jerome, you seem to be suggesting he's going to the media and the analyst community, so they start turning up the heat on institutional investors and maybe boards of directors. Oh, I'm not even sure he needs them to turn up the heat on the institutional investors. I think the institutional investors are listening directly to what he says, not only those inside his company, but those who are invested in all the other companies and maybe some large shareholders, maybe uh, maybe the uh, maybe the uh, province of Lower Saxony, maybe the Kuwaitis, maybe others who own large stakes in these companies are looking for better yield and might be saying to them, hey, instead of trying to steal out, for instance, and I'm just making this up, of course, instead of trying to grab Alfa Romeo from, uh, uh, from uh, Fiat, why don't you make a deal where you make a sports car together and share some of the development costs, and they'll call it an Alfa Romeo, and you can call it a Lamborghini. Well, you know, your point is real good because we're seeing a lot more of that. Even Toyota, which was notorious in doing everything itself, has now done a number of deals. But, Jason, you said something interesting uh, a moment ago, and that, that raises the question of egos. And maybe that's another reason why he's going around. Uh, as we're seeing at VW, uh, the ego power that runs this industry often leads to things being done that are not quite logical. Uh, <laughs> certainly was one of the reasons why, as Marchione kept saying, we didn't see the consolidation of, uh, of c- capacity during the downturn. So maybe what he's trying to do is get the people who are running it by the numbers to start taking control and telling the people who are doing it by ego, you've got to start looking at the balance sheets. It's, it has to be numbers versus ego that will get this industry out of the trouble that it's facing. And the consumer just doesn't care. The consumer doesn't care whether the seat frame is the same on company uh, X versus uh, car Y. It, it just doesn't matter. And I remember when GM rolled out all of those uh, Opals that were going to have the same seat frames as in uh, the Saturns, right? right. The Saturn Sky. Um, and, you know, their, their argument was legitimate. GM had a lot of other issues that they had to deal with at mm-hmm. that time. But it was, you know, Rick Wagner saying the customer doesn't care what the suspension system is like or, or who it's made by, rather, and whether it's shared with somebody else, even an engine is shared. And I think, huh. you know, back to Paul's point, it, it, it is just the simple fact that the economics don't work, that everybody needs to make the same four-cylinder engines. It doesn't make sense. Do you remember the Chevy Mobile mess, John? You oh, and yeah, I have yeah. been around long enough. Yeah, when they put uh, Chevy engines in Oldsmobiles, the public went crazy in, in a backlash. Today, I don't even think no, they, they, they it noticed. wouldn't matter. But it, but it depends on where you're talking about. You know, uh, if I were FCA, would I outsource the Hellcat engine? Hell no. Or the Hemi? No, I built brands around that. And I think that's part of the difference. But I want to get back to a, a, a point that uh, Daron raised. Could it be, I mean, you said, you know, is there Saudi money or uh, other Middle Eastern money that might be coming in? Is one of the reasons why Sergio Marchione is going so public with this, just to see, is there anybody else out there that he hasn't thought of? Well, I think the, I think the timing is important, too. It's, it's really important to understand that since 2009, we've been in a steady expansion globally. And he's, he's a bright guy, and he understands that soon we're in kind of historically unprecedented territory. And when the sand runs out, he's the one that's going to be under pressure to sell Jeep, to sell Ram, to sell something, to sell the whole company, to liquidate, to do something else. He doesn't want to be in that position. So it's quite natural that he's the one that's talking now. Now, maybe GM isn't interested at the moment. Maybe Ford isn't interested at the moment. But they'll be under more pressure as well. He's saying, in a sense... 
let's do this now before so we have to do it. So what you're saying is that he's foreshadowing what, yes. what could come, and let's all just oh, he knows what's ourselves. Oh, he knows yeah. what's coming. Yeah, we all know what's it. coming, sure. but so there, why not do it now when and, it makes more sense? And we're seeing it in the dealer space. We're seeing it in the supplier space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Talk yeah. about that. Talk a little bit about, because you cover a lot of the retail end of the business. Sure. We're seeing massive consolidation there. Absolutely. And, and, and what's happened, besides Warren Buffett getting into the game and saying, okay, I believe in the car business now, so all of a sudden everybody pays attention and says, right. oh, retail, wow, you can make money at retail. But no, what it is, is that you know economies of scale and size matters when it comes to multiple brands and selling multiple brands across the country. AutoNation's done a great job of having a centralized back shop, back office to handle all of those. Penske Automotive Group. Same thing, mm, Penske right. AutoNation Group 1. And so there are economies of scale gain there through that kind of efficiency, and you're seeing it in the supply base as well. And um, What I find you know, so fascinating, too, is because we did a whole show on this thing, is that even today in the United States, only 5% of dealerships are owned by a big group. So that tells me we're only just getting going. In this. Only, only getting going. I think a lot of opportunity to, you know, for some of these mom and pop that may be in the second, third, fourth generations to say, you know what, we own the market already. There's somebody else who can come in here. We can get paid for all the hard work that we've done, and they have the efficiency to make it happen. And you see it, AutoNation, an example of branding across America now with that one name and gaining all of those efficiencies. I think one of the reasons why uh, Buffett is interested in this is because of low interest rates, and here's here's what's happening. Time. Low yeah. interest rates mean that from all all of your securities, you're really not getting the yield you need. What you can get is yield from a big group of car companies, uh, uh, car dealerships. Uh, I was able to uh, interview the head of one of the large chains a, a week or two ago and said, uh, would you be interested in selling to a Warren Buffett? He said, why would I want to do that? I would end up getting a whole bunch of cash that now I can't get yield from. <laughs> and he has an asset that he can get yield from, so I'm not really interested in trading mm. right now. And well, to your point on, um, on the world kind of changing within the next three to five years and things getting a little bit more dire, remember, all those low interest rates mean that dealers have low payments on their floor plan, the cars they have in stock. What happens to that retail community? What happens to the smaller guy when interest rates bump up a few points and now all of a sudden your floor plan costs a lot more to keep that inventory uh, in line than it did you know, over the, really the last five, six years? But, you know, I think the United States is actually going to prove to be in the lead in this regard because we're not seeing that giant consolidation elsewhere. England, a little bit. You know, uh, Penske Automotive, uh, AutoNation uh, have got stores there, but... Boy, I, I think that this is going to spread all around the world for the very reasons that you decided. Mm -hmm. You can consolidate all these back office functions and save a ton of money. Well, remember, you're going to also see consolidation there. Uh, what, what's the count of dealers down from a decade ago? Five, six thousand? Yeah. Not just because of the GM and Chrysler cuts when they went bankrupt. And the industry would like to get more and more of these out of here. Uh, the only thing that will reverse that is if you see more of the foreign manufacturers, the new guys come in, and they try to take over dealerships. They'll create storefronts, but they'll probably work with existing dealers anyway. And margin on new car sales, razor thin. I mean, they're not making any money on selling a car these days. Right. Well, well, part of the reason, too, is the, you know, the dealer principals pay themselves whopping big salaries. Oh, yeah. When now that gets consolidated under a big group, that money drops to the bottom line. You know, a, a really interesting... Um, outgrowth of all of this is the future of the car salesman. You had a, a story in Automotive News about how Chrysler, worried about the turnover of car salespeople, are um, offering college scholarships. One of the reasons they're doing this is to try to get people to stay in this profession who don't want to stay in it because it doesn't really pay what it used to pay. You used to be able to make a pretty good living as a top-notch car salesman 
or saleswoman, and you're really not anymore because all those margins have gotten cut, and to your point, they're, they're being remunerated less. I'd, I'd like to throw another thing on, on the table, too, because it's not just automakers consolidating, it's not just dealers consolidating. We're seeing a tremendous amount of upheaval in the supplier end of the business. Just as an example, Johnson Controls, JCI, has been the biggest interior supplier in this business for years now. They're selling all of that to the Chinese, to a company called Yangfang. Uh, we're seeing Magna offloading all its interior uh, to a Spanish company called Grupo Antolin. Uh, Forcia, the big French supplier that makes a whole bunch of seats and interior things, just formed a, a joint venture with, was it Chang'an or Geely? I can't even keep track of all of the, the deals that are going on. There's a massive amount of upheaval going on in the supplier end. What do you guys the, the see in interior, that? Interior, interior stuff interiors especially. is, is yeah. really curious because when you look at it, automakers are upgrading interiors tremendously. So at a time when manufacturers have to spend more on interiors, all these traditional guys are getting rid of it. Or are they just figuring that they are going to wind up having to absorb the cost, so they're not going to get more money, they're just going to have to put more cost in. But John, look at you said, you just listed off and all of the names of those groups that are buying, 90% of them are Chinese, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's expertise here, right? Because there's a market that I think, I think the numbers are by 2020, that there will be an additional 10 cities within China that have 10 million people or more, okay? All of those folks in this so-called tier two and tier three cities have to be served in some way. And I think you're seeing a lot of expertise. Um, I th believe that you were at the Shanghai yes. Auto Show. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the, the footprint of that show has already exceeded uh, 12 or 15 Detroit auto shows, if you four combine them. Su four Superdomes, if you could imagine that. Four Super Bowls yeah. to, together. Four um, uh, Mercedes uh, New Orleans yeah. Bowls put together in one building, far beyond the scale of anything you see anywhere in the world. And many more are now local Chinese manufacturers that are on right. display with things that, you know, four or six years ago, you'd go to the, the uh, auto show in Shanghai or uh, Beijing and the doors wouldn't open, you know, when you went to open up the doors of the cars, because they didn't want you to see the interior that was inside the vehicle. Now, I mean, you can tell us. Quali quality is much better. Quality is much better. And, and to your point, it's about scale. It's really now about scale. They've, they've really developed the automotive culture pretty well on the eastern coast of China, and now they're moving west and south. Mm -hmm. And as they do, there's going to be a lot more cars to sell. And so uh, they've got strong currency now and uh, a lot of financial strength. The other interesting thing that we're seeing as you get into the, the Tier 2 and 3 cities is that just getting a new car is a really big deal, and they're not as brand-conscious as they are in the big eastern cities. And so we've seen for the first time in the small crossover segment, the Chinese are now beating the foreigners. Never right. seen that happen before. And that's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Are, are the Chinese really starting to gain traction in their own market? Because heretofore, it's and all been foreign brands that dominate. And one of the fastest growing segments of the market. So that's got to doubly worry all yeah, the they're very, they're very uh, savvy to the trends. In other words, the global trends that pertain in the United States and in Europe also pertain in, in China. And I, I think there's no question that they are on top of those and things. We wrote the story coming out of the Shanghai show that, uh, and we've seen this story many times before in, in other pockets of the world, but that they want to get into the U.S. retail network. And so it'll be in very interesting to see if that actually finally happens. Oh, it'll happen. We know it's yeah. going to happen. I, I yeah. think, Paul, you said Geely has already announced plans. They want to come well, to the Well, now, we, we have to remember that we've been hearing the but Chinese we, say they're going to come for here for time. 10 years. Yeah. 
this time I think the uh, the doors open. Well, look, you know, we all know that they've had a real struggle trying to meet U.S. emission and state safety standards, which, by the way, are tougher than they are in Europe. There are some Chinese cars in Europe, but they're also much in, in many places elsewhere in the world. They're all over Latin America, the Middle right. East, Africa, parts of Asia. We know that they want to get here. So we figured out that Sergio Marchionne and FCA are actually going to merge with the Chinese now. Why not? Well, Why not? Come on. Real, this is, this is a market they're very weak in. This is really actually something that Fiat Chrysler really needs is to be uh, in, in mainland Asia. They do. So look, we're getting down to the end. Paul, let me start with you. Next five years, let's take this conversation to the end of the decade. We're talking about all kinds of consolidation potentially with automakers. We're seeing it with dealers. We're seeing it with suppliers. Where's this leading? Well, I think we are going to see some sort of shakeout, but it, I don't think you're going to see many makers go away. A bunch of the Chinese small companies will. Uh, we may see a couple of European uh, changes, but I think it's more going to be about partnership than anything else. I think that, uh, as the French say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. This has always been a business that uh, has lots and lots of players and that gets smaller through consolidation, that gets more players and gets smaller again through consolidation. I think that worldwide regulation is going to make this uh, a smaller business because the cost of complying with European emissions controls and Euro uh, American emissions regulations is way too high for the small players. They'll sell out. The suppliers will sell out. But at some point, that's going to come to an end, right? Somewhere around 2025, uh, cars are going to be awfully clean and We'll efficient. have new reasons then for companies <laughs> wanting to get into this business, and the price of entry might not be that big then. Jason, Hottest Jason. car company on the planet, Jaguar Land Rover, owned by Indians. <laughs> to, to, to your point, yeah. it's uh, people come and people go, and there may be more consolidation, but there will be players that we can't even imagine right now that will be involved in the business. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, f who, who would have seen Tesla coming up? You know, and as we get into connected cars, as we get into autonomous cars, boy, the door could open. Now we know Google's interested in this business. Apple. Apple's exactly. interested in this business. I mean, the yeah. tech companies are all yeah. over the automotive and, industry. And that may be the, the last piece, John. Uh, all, guys, will technology truly transform? So far, Tesla's just a buzz. Uh, it, it doesn't have real volume. First product, we haven't even seen the second one two years late. But when you add electric, alternative power, all these emission standards, and connected technology, which has potential to save countless lives, particularly in China, where they're losing, what, a quarter million people a year. We don't know how much all of that will affect the shakeout. And then there's mobility services. Maybe we will not even buy or lease cars in the future. Maybe we'll only use mobility as we need it and pay for it as we use it instead of having our cars parked for 22 hours a day why not put them to right. work which implies that we won't be driving them either unless we really want to exactly right. so i mean you know when i look at all this is happening I, I think the next decade is going to be tremendous turmoil in the industry creating a lot of problems for long-term players and massive opportunities for new startups. Since the oil crisis in the 70s, it's never been dull. So. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. But I want to thank all of you. Paul Eisenstein, publisher of the Detroit Bureau. Daron Levine with Fortune.com and TheStreet.com. Jason Stein, the publisher and editor of Automotive News. It's been a fascinating discussion, guys. Uh, we'll have to come back in a couple of years, play this show, and see how right we were and, uh -huh. and what we were all saying. But thanks again. Thank really you. appreciate thank your you. time. Thanks, and I want to thank all of you for having tuned in.
Underwriting for the production of Auto Lime this week has been provided by Auto Line is brought to you in part by the commercial vehicle brands of Tenneco, pioneering global ideas for cleaner air and quieter, smoother, and safer transportation. Warner, developing advanced technologies specifically aimed at reducing emissions, increasing fuel economy, and improving performance. Our award-winning innovations extend from turbocharging and cooling systems to friction materials and diesel cold start technology. Built on a century-long reputation of innovation and reliability, we have the track record that proves our technology can help meet the challenges of the commercial truck and off-highway industry. Deloitte's Automotive Group is at the forefront, driving transformation and tackling complex challenges. Whether you are interested in globalizing operations, optimizing supply chains, mitigating enterprise risk, or driving innovation, Deloitte can help develop solutions that create long-lasting value. To learn more about Deloitte's Automotive Group, visit us online at deloitte.com backslash US backslash automotive.